You are listening to the Not Your Average Autism Mom podcast, the number one podcast for moms just like you, raising an autistic child. How are moms like us who didn't plan for this unique parenting journey embracing life just as it is right now, instead of staying stuck in wishing, hoping, and dreaming it was different? That is the question, and this podcast, along with our Let's Talk Autism newsletter and our private sisterhood, will give you the answers. My name is Shannon Urquiola, and I have been traveling this journey for over two decades. I have been where you are. All right, stay with me, and let's get on to this week's episode. Episode 111, Experiencing Loss and Grief. Well, hello there, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. And for our diehard listeners who check your podcast app every Thursday morning for our new episodes, I want to apologize to you that there wasn't a new episode last week. So for me to skip a week, there was definitely something going on. And the good news is that all of that led me to our topic this week. So last week, we had to make the very difficult decision in our family to put our dog, Zoe, of almost 16 years to sleep. And for all of you who have had, you know, have had to make that difficult decision, you know that it is not an easy one. She was part of our family, and it was hard for all of us. And I can't tell you how many people asked me, how is Jordan? Everyone wanted to know how Jordan took that loss. So today I'm going to talk about that because how our autistic children experience grief and loss can be very different from what your expectations might be. And grief can be, you know, complex for all of us. Everyone responds to grief differently. Some may be angry, some may be sad, others may withdraw, some might be totally or seem totally unaffected. For our kids with autism, there could be a variety of emotional, behavioral, or even physical reactions to grief. There could be a delayed response, right, because of their processing delays. So their reactions may be delayed or they may be more or less intense than what we would expect. They might ask very practical questions and, um, you know, have concerns that they're on the search for, you know, answers to. They may want to just get back to normal routine and life being predictable again. Now, I will say for me, because Jordan is older now, I did not have any expectations of how he would react to our loss. And for the reason, you know, for that is because I know that he doesn't express his emotions the same way that we do. Now, for some of our children, losing something or someone close to them may be overwhelming and you will need to recognize this and support them, whatever that looks like. You might see significant changes in their behavior. And it's also been said that their autistic traits may seem to become more apparent in times of grieving. Some of our children may respond to their grief through anger or just being extremely irritable. 
their sleeping and eating patterns may change. You may see a regression in a skill set that they had learned. They may regress and they may struggle to understand the concept of death and how they are supposed to behave when something or someone they love dies, right? Whether that is a person or that's a pet. While people with autism, you know, sometimes have a hard time expressing their feelings, sometimes the manner in which they respond may be the opposite of what they're feeling. So they may laugh while others are crying. It's important that we don't assume that they're happy. Their emotions may be scrambled, and it's important that we don't assume that they're not affected by the loss. I think it's important to talk about the situation rather than avoiding it. I wanted to help him prepare for it. And when you're doing this, obviously it's important to consider the level of their understanding when you're doing that. I talked to him about it ahead of time. I explained to him why it was important that we took her to the vet and that it was likely that she would not be coming home. Uh, you know, I explained to him that we were going to be sad and there were likely going to be some tears shed because I wanted him to know why we were reacting in that way. Our children may be uncomfortable with the way other people react in these situations. So I wanted him to be aware of it. One thing that I did know, you know, to not do was to use unclear language because death can be a hard thing to grasp, especially for our kids on the spectrum who struggle with abstract concepts and, you know, literal language, right? I explained to him that putting her to sleep meant that they were going to stop her heart from beating because for some of our children, maybe even yours, putting her to sleep might mean to them that, you know, she's just sleeping. And then they would have that expectation of her waking up. So be careful with the language that you use. Now, in our house, we talk about and believe in God and heaven. So explaining to him that Zoe was going to heaven wasn't confusing. But in your house, depending on your beliefs, be careful because sometimes it can be confusing for children who are just learning about death. I also explained to him the rainbow bridge because euphemisms and figurative language are, are just a difficult place for him. And, you know, he kind of laughed when I explained the rainbow bridge and, you know, it made me laugh in a difficult time. So other than that, he honestly did not have much of a reaction. Although, I acknowledged that Zoe not being here with us anymore was going to be sad. He agreed, but he didn't cry. He didn't want to go and just cuddle with her like all of us did. And you know what? That was okay. I didn't make it mean anything was wrong. Nothing was wrong with him because he didn't react in the same way we did. And I think that is what is so important for all of us to understand. When you have ex expectations of how your child or children should act or react, and they don't do it in a way that you expected, you create your own feelings of sadness or disappointment. What if you just believe that they will grieve in their own way? 
and you pay extra attention to the coming days to see if they might be somehow internalizing their grief and experiencing it differently than you do. If they want to talk, talk to them. If they want to cry, acknowledge that those feelings of sadness are normal. You know, our brains only have so much space in which to process information. And when a very large part of it is consumed with emotions, it can result in failures in other areas. So for our children, while they may not show the outward symptoms of sadness in, you know, the traditional sense, they may have different shutdowns where it could even appear that their autistic symptoms have worsened. They're already, you know, minimal, lessened executive functioning skills could also be impacted. I think it's important that we understand and help our children understand how processing emotions can actually impact other brain functions too. Most of our children will be, you know, resistant to questions about how they feel, right? And I think a lot of that is because emotions are just hard to understand, even for us. Even for neurotypical people, emotions and feelings are just sometimes hard to understand. And I think for any of us, including our children, while we know about death, we aren't prepared for the intensity of grief when death takes something from us, even if that's our animals. I also wonder if he'll now relate that Zoe is just the beginning of more loss that he will experience in his life. But then I remind myself (laughs) that wondering and worrying about that is not helpful and won't do me or him any good. So if you are an overthinker, and for our Not Your Average Autism Moms, this is for you, that is a completely useless waste of your time and energy. And I know that you know that. So you just have to remind yourself when those thoughts come in that that's not helpful. It's not helpful for me to wonder what he's thinking because we're not going to know. What we do know is that explaining to them in a factual and straightforward way will be helpful for them. I also think that letting them know how people grieve right? Crying, sharing memories, telling stories. Some people have, you know, heirlooms that will remind them of the person or the pet. That's important along with letting them know that sometimes people with autism may grieve differently and no one is doing it wrong, but just being aware of the differences allows everyone to process it in their own way. They won't understand what is expected of them and why. That's why I think it's important to help them understand that there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And for you to not have expectations that they may not be able to meet, just because they don't respond to other people's emotions doesn't mean that they don't understand what is happening. Their own emotions are often difficult to understand. So for us to expect them to understand other people's is a big ask. They need routine and reassurance. That's what they need in this time. And I think that keeping things factual and sharing only as much information as they may ask for or appear they need 
is a good guide for you to use. Think about how your child reacts to other things and base how you approach this subject the same way that they would want you to approach something else rather than basing it, you know, just on their age alone, right? The truth is that some autistic children don't grieve. And as difficult as that is to hear, if they don't have a personal connection with something or someone, they may not grieve, yet they may still need help understanding of why other people are sad. But remember, we cannot expect our children to feel or experience things in the world the same way we do. And that is okay. For both of my children, Jordan and Maddie, they have only experienced the loss of their grandmother, their father's mother. And they were both so young that they don't remember it. And that, so this was truly their first loss where they had to experience it. And what I can tell you is that their experiences were very different. Um, Lastly, I want to be sure that you are aware that the physical responses to grief can be expected, and it's important that you understand these issues aren't just part of their autism, but rather part of their individual grieving process. They might lose their appetite. Their sleep schedules may be even more interrupted than usual. They might be extra tired, and their sensory struggles might go into overdrive. And those are just a few extra things to look for, but I want to be sure that we allow them to grieve on their own timeline and in their own way, whatever that looks like, as long as they aren't hurting themselves or others, obviously. The other thing you want to do is keep your discussions consistent with their level of development and what they will understand. Let them know that you're there to answer their questions if they have any, and be patient. There is no timeline for grief. No matter how big or how small, every one of us has a different timeline and a different way that we experience it. And just because they're autistic does not mean that that's any different. It's important that you keep their routines as normal as possible because we know that predictability goes a long way to help our kiddos feel safe and secure. Loss and death and grief are difficult subjects to discuss, and even more so with our kids who already struggle with talking about how they feel. They have a hard time processing and labeling their emotions, not to mention the emotions of others, but this isn't the same as feeling an emotion. Just because they struggle to process it or show it outwardly to all of us like you and I do, doesn't mean they aren't feeling it. All right, my friends, that is what I wanted to share with you today. I hope that you're leaving with something that might be helpful for you down the road when you're in one of these situations. And listen, if you want to know more about talking with your child about tragedy and death, you can also go back and listen to episode 45, where I talk more about this topic too. Um, Thank you, as always, for being here. And hey, if you're benefiting from our podcast and haven't yet taken a minute to write a review, 
please just take a minute to do that. Pay it forward because the more reviews we get, the more moms just like you and I that we will reach and help make their journey a little easier. Until next week, have a great week. And remember, above all, you, mama, are doing amazing at this mom thing. Hey, so if you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, I want to invite you to check out our Not Your Average Autism Mom community. That is where we dive deeper into all the topics we discuss on the podcast and where you get individual help and learn coaching tools that will make your life better every day. When you become Not Your Average Autism Mom, you take on an identity with an incredible community of women across the globe, all raising autistic children who all show up to show the world they are not your average autism mom. It's my favorite place to be, so head on over to the website at www.notyouraverageautismmom.com to find out all the details. And if we're not open for new members right now, be sure to join the waitlist so that you'll be the first to know when we do open. We hope you do. We'd love to work with you inside.